millions of Americans struggle to afford their medical care. More and more, state and federal lawmakers want nonprofit hospitals to offer more free care in response. But nonprofit hospitals warn that could backfire. Today, the push to get nonprofit hospitals to provide more charity care and how those efforts could potentially hurt the people they're designed to help. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. More than 100 million Americans face some amount of medical debt. That's 40% of all adults in the country having a hard time getting their broken bones fixed, treatment for their diabetes, or chemotherapy for their cancer. At the same time, some nonprofit hospitals have made headlines. Found Methodist sued 8,300 patients between 2014 and 2018, including their own employees. For employing what are considered aggressive tactics to pursue unpaid bills. 36,000 different accounts were literally sent to debt collectors. Filed thousands of lawsuits since 2009 against patients with unpaid medical bills. This one-two punch, medical debt and aggressive bill collection, has gotten lawmakers' attention, especially because nonprofit hospitals are tax-exempt and are expected to provide some kind of community benefit in return. In 2020, Tax breaks for nearly all 3,000 nonprofit hospitals were an estimated $28 billion, according to KFF, a health policy research organization. But they spent just $16 billion giving away free care to low-income patients. Some lawmakers argue that $12 billion gap needs to shrink. Here's New Jersey Representative Bill Pascrell at a congressional hearing last spring. I'm committed to robust oversight of our tax exempt hospitals. Many nonprofit hospital systems can and must do better. Getting nonprofit hospitals to do better is another way of saying getting them to pay for more free care. And that gap between what hospitals avoid in taxes and what they pay in free care seems to suggest the hospitals could afford it. Jibai, professor of accounting at the Johns Hopkins Carey Business School. G studies nonprofit hospital charity care and tax status. She and her co-authors found that on average, for-profit hospitals spend a higher percentage of expenses on charity care than nonprofits. That has added ammunition to people who want nonprofit hospitals to do more. The taxpayers are not getting their fair share when it comes to taxpayers' subsidies to nonprofit hospitals. Here's part of the problem, says G. The IRS just requires nonprofit hospitals to have policies about how they dole out charity care and report the amount on their taxes. But there is no clear-cut definition on how much is enough. These are players. They're only playing by the rules designed by the game, right? So blame the game, not the players. And then change the rules. G and others think the vague rules have led to some hospitals spending as much as 10% of their expenses on free care and others as little as one-tenth of 1%. This movie has been on repeat for 30 years, says Northeastern University's Gary Young. We see the same hospitals providing a lot of community benefit and other hospitals providing very little, and that doesn't seem to change very much over time. 
Gary has studied nonprofit hospitals for 30 years and leads Northeastern's Center for Health Policy and Healthcare Research. He says, if we want to see these hospitals beef up their free care, expectations must be spelled out. Well, a first step might be for policymakers to establish explicit criteria in terms of what is expected from not-for-profit hospitals regarding community benefits. Some states have already moved in that direction. In the absence of federal action, at least 14 states have more specific laws about how hospitals provide charity care. There are two general approaches. The first, three states require free care based on a percentage of the hospital's income. But G says there's a danger in setting this kind of limit. So the problem is that hospitals might adjust their behavior. You know, if they provide more charity care, they might say, oh, that's not necessary. I'll just provide less to meet the target. Hospitals in Texas adjusted their behavior, as G says, after the states required all nonprofits to spend 4% of their revenue on free care. Some hospitals ponied up to meet the new standard, but an independent analysis from 2010, the most recent one available, found some more generous hospitals cut back. Texas's experience is a cautionary tale. Figuring out how to increase charity care isn't as easy as setting a single target. Oregon also uses hospital income to determine how much hospitals spend on their communities, but the state develops a specific target for each hospital to meet. Northeastern's Gary Young, who's studying the state, says the model shows some promising signs. A state report found in the first year, hospitals spent a total of $2.2 billion on community benefits, a 150% increase above their target. I do think this is, you know, a an interesting step toward addressing that variation that we have seen for so many years. And then that could be a model for the rest of the country and, and possibly for the federal government. Then there's the second approach. Hospitals give discounted or free care based on patient incomes rather than a hospital's revenue. 11 states, including Maryland and Washington, do this. While there's little evidence on the effectiveness of these policies, Johns Hopkins G. Bai says it at least gives regulators a rule to enforce. She points to Washington State's settlement just this month with Seattle-based hospital system Providence Health that led the nonprofit to refund patients $160 million for care that should have been free or discounted. G was an expert witness in this case. So this success sent a signal to hospitals that not complying can have severe consequences. So that will make them more likely to comply. Researchers like Gary and G are hopeful state models can help ensure more low-income people access care. If so, they say that could be a blueprint for a federal fix. But if nonprofits are pushed to pick up a bigger share of the charity care tab, some hospital executives warn that could, ironically, make care for low-income people even harder to access. More on that after the break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back. Everyone we talk to for this story agrees. Sick people should be able to get medical care without going into debt. The disagreement is who should pay for it. As we heard before the break, lots of states and some researchers say nonprofit hospitals certainly should be doing more. Again, the logic. Nonprofits save billions of dollars every year because of their tax-exempt status. And more of those savings should cover free care. But that, says Jill Horwitz, a law professor at UCLA, is a double standard. So we don't ask museums to provide free admission to everybody who wants to go to the museum. And we don't ask nonprofit universities to give free tuition. Hospitals are just the same. Critics, like Jill, say policies asking hospitals to foot the bill may be well-meaning, but fail to address bigger systemic problems with the U.S. healthcare system, namely a lack of universal coverage and high prices. Hospitals argue the problem with the plan to increase charity care requirements is that they could unintentionally cut care that low-income communities rely on right now. Where you live, which is often also defined who you are, shouldn't define what kind of care you get. That's Bruce Siegel. He leads America's Essential Hospitals, a trade group that represents so-called safety net hospitals. Those are health systems that see the highest percentage of low-income and uninsured patients. Bruce says the push for more charity care assumes all hospitals are created equal. And while a slice of nonprofit hospitals are in a strong financial position, many safety net hospitals are barely scraping by. And Bruce adds, the 300 hospitals he represents provide a quarter of all charity care, even though they're only 5% of all hospitals. I'm concerned that those who really are delivering on the promise are getting mixed together or tarred with the same brush as other parts of the industry. After being battered by COVID, labor costs, and inflation, Bruce says this is a precarious moment for the industry, even more so for safety net hospitals. On average, they're in the red by 9%. If they continue to lose money, Bruce says, that could force one of three hard decisions. Cut services, the easiest of the three, sell to a for-profit company, or just close. When things get really extreme, it becomes a conversation of, do we close? Bruce says his members are facing these tough choices right now. One is Denver Health, a combination of factors like high labor costs and spending more on free care has put a hurt on their budget, says CEO Donna Lynn. The system lost more than $30 million in 2022 and barely broke even last year. Cutting back on care is the one I try to avoid the most because the demand for health care services is really strong at Denver Health. But she says financial pressures forced the system to close 15 of its 78 inpatient psychiatric beds, which it loses about $200,000 on per bed each year. 
Colorado already is short on mental health care, ranking 45th out of 50 states for access. I think that there are hundreds of people going without care because Denver Health cannot open up enough beds to provide the care that they need. Donna has turned to state and local officials to kick in more money to help the system, but so far she's only gotten a few million dollars from the state. And still, Denver Health has foregone even basic maintenance repairs. The result, a system seemingly falling apart at the seams. The pipes froze. Guess what happened when it got warm? The pipes burst and we had a flood. Donna says the time has come for policymakers to stop taking the hospital for granted. Denver Health has been here for 163 years. We are the oldest hospital in the state of Colorado. And whether it's COVID or it's shootings or it's routine cancer, we are expected to serve this community. We're essential, but the money isn't A more extreme move is for financially stressed hospitals to sell to a for-profit or private equity firm. That's happened at least 29 times in the last five years, according to healthcare analytics firm Levin Associates. UCLA law professor Joe Horwitz says nonprofits and for-profit hospitals have different priorities. They're just going to follow the money more because that's what for-profits do. Jill has studied the differences between the two kinds of hospitals for decades. She explains free care is just one way the nonprofits give back to the community. Jill's research shows nonprofits provide more services that are more likely to lose money, things like burn units, hospice treatment, and psychiatric care. Her recent study in health affairs found nonprofits are 6% more likely than for-profits to offer these services. So what this tells us is that nonprofit hospitals are focusing more on patient need than profit-making when they're making their decisions of what services to offer. Jill would like to see lawmakers tap the brakes on talk to end tax exemptions and policies that are forcing the nonprofits to pay for more of this care. The fewer nonprofits, the less care there is for substance use, mental illness, and pregnancy care. The third most drastic option, close the doors and shut off the lights. Bruce Siegel at America's Essential Hospitals is worried. I got hospitals today on average in our membership who are in the red. You can't survive like that. So, you know, this is a fundamentally an existential issue for them. This has happened at least three times over the last several years in Cleveland, Philadelphia, and Atlanta. After the 460-bed Atlanta Medical Center shut down in 2022, the trade journal Modern Healthcare reported that nearby hospitals struggled to handle the influx of patients. Wait times for emergency rooms and procedures increased. The country has watched some hospitals offer lots of charity care and others very little for decades. States like Washington, Texas, and Oregon have taken steps to get hospitals to pay more with varying degrees of success. But who should pay for this care? That's the question UCLA's Jill Horowitz wants the country to ask. If these policies or some similar federal fix 
end up compromising this country's safety net hospitals, it's impossible to say that we'd be better off. Jill says to help the 100 million Americans in debt, we must address the root of the problem, a lack of insurance and high prices. Those issues, she says, are too big for hospitals to solve on their own. I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. Some worry the rise of AI threatens our health data privacy, but could too much concern over privacy actually lead to more biased and less effective algorithms? My hope is that AI can slot in and and be transformational, but for that to happen, it needs to be based on high-quality representative data that reflects the world that we live in and not the world that just a few of us live in. Next time on Tradeoffs. Thanks for listening to Tradeoffs. If you've just discovered us, remember to subscribe to the feed so you never miss an episode. Subscribing is free and easy on whichever podcasting app you use. The NPR app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. The Tradeoffs team is producers Alex Olgan and Ryan Levy, editors Kate Cahan and Deborah Franklin, executive director Jessica Silverman, marketing director Catherine Dougal, audience engagement lead Shannon Crane, with help from Kate Seepy, Kelly Osmondson, and Cedric Wilson, sound designer Andrew Perella, executive editor Dan Gorenstein, and senior producer Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. Tradeoffs coverage of healthcare costs are supported in part by Arnold Ventures and West Health. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Frauke Benzine, Chris Alabrandi O'Connor, and Jamie Moran. Our media partner is SideFX Public Media based at WFYI. Tradeoffs is supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, the Sozose Foundation, Just Trust, West Health, the California Healthcare Foundation, the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management Foundation. Our financial supporters are not involved in any decisions about our journalism. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of trade-off staff, advisors, or funders. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.